Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June 17th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The WCAB ruled that California does not have jurisdiction to hear a case filed by a California resident who was injured while working in Arizona. Here's what happened in the case of Perez versus Hilton Parking. Sergio Perez, an Arizona resident, was hired by Hilton Packing, a California-based company, to work at their facility in Arizona. The job offer and the acceptance of that offer were both made in Arizona. While working in Arizona, Perez had an industrial injury. He also received medical treatment in Arizona. He then moved on his own back to his primary residence in California, where he continued to receive treatment and ultimately filed a California workers' compensation claim. When he was released for light-duty work, he returned to work in Arizona. The employer denied the California claim based upon the argument that there was no jurisdiction to proceed before the California WCAB. Perez complained that the denial came more than 90 days after the injury was reported and argued that it was therefore invalid. The WCJ agreed with the employer and found that there was no California jurisdiction over the Arizona injury and dismissed the application. Sergio Perez filed a petition for reconsideration. The WCA panel agreed with the WCJ finding that there was no jurisdiction to proceed in California. They noted that the ruling on jurisdiction was consistent with well-established law. Perez also argued that the employer was stopped from raising jurisdiction as an issue since that issue was raised for the first time more than 90 days following the injury. The WCAB rejected his argument, holding that objections to subject matter jurisdiction may be raised at any time and that the jurisdiction cannot be conferred by consent, waiver, or estoppel. The Court of Appeal ruled that the exclusive remedy provisions of workers' compensation law protects an employer from tort liability as a result of pranks played by some employees. Here's what happened in the case of Cardi versus Richard DeFillippis. James Cardi was working as a waiter at Philippi's Pizza Grotto, which was owned by Richard DeFillippis. One of the Philippi's pizza cooks, Marco Sevilla, heated a pan before placing a pizza on the pan for Cardi's order. Cardi picked up the pan with his uncovered hand, intending to deliver it to a customer's table. Cardi suffered serious and permanent burn injuries from the heated pan. Shortly after the incident, Sevilla admitted he was responsible for the action, quit his job, and never returned to the restaurant. In addition to receiving workers' compensation benefits, Cardi sued his employer DeFilippis and two of Cardi's co-workers for battery and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Cardi sought to recover against the Philippines based on exceptions to the workers' compensation exclusivity rules. Cardi acknowledged during the trial that he and other employees routinely engaged in practical jokes and horseplay. He viewed these activities as innocent horseplay or joking around and did not believe these actions were hostile or improper. The Philippines moved for a non-suit during the jury trial based on his argument that workers' compensation was the exclusive remedy for Cardi's injuries. In response, Cardi argued that his manager, Lopez, encouraged and or directed the burn incident 
and thus her actions could be attributed to the employer for civil liability purposes. The court granted the non-suit motion and Cardi appealed the dismissal of his case. The Court of Appeals affirmed the dismissal in the unpublished case of Cardi versus Richard de Philippis. Generally, an employee suffering an injury during the course and scope of employment is limited to the workers' compensation system. Courts broadly construe the exclusivity provisions and narrowly interpret exceptions to those provisions. Cardi presented no evidence that de Philippis committed a physical assault or had any involvement or knowledge of the burn incident or that anyone else was acting on his behalf in committing the claimed assault. Amid a firestorm about the internal revenue services targeting of conservative groups, the IRS is now the subject of a California class action lawsuit alleging that 15 of its agents improperly seized 10 million medical records from a California healthcare organization. Malibu attorney Robert Barnes filed the lawsuit in California Superior Court in mid-March on behalf of a John Doe company and individuals whose records were seized. Barnes claims this is an action involving the corruption and abuse of power by several internal revenue service agents during a raid of the John Doe, John Doe company in the Southern District of California on March 11, 2011. In a case involving solely a tax matter involving a former employee of the company, these agents stole more than 60 million medical records of more than 10 million Americans, including at least 1 million Californians. The complaint alleges there was no warrant authorizing the seizures of the medical records and the records were not germane to the IRS search. The complaint alleges that the seizure violated the Fourth Amendment. Republican members of the House Energy and Commerce Committee are looking into the allegations of this lawsuit. Members of the committee have sent a letter to Acting IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel asking for more information about the seizure of these records. And now, our fraud report. A federal grand jury returned a 27-count indictment against 61-year-old Terrell Eugene Brown of Visalia, charging him with conspiracy to dispense oxycodone, illegally dispensing of oxycodone, hydrocodone, and structuring currency transactions to avoid reporting requirements to banks. According to the indictment, Brown, a medical doctor, sold prescriptions for large quantities of highly addictive prescription drugs, including oxycodone and hydrocodone, without medical necessity. Brown sold prescriptions to customers that did not have a legitimate medical purpose and were not in the usual course of his professional practice. Brown deposited his cash earned from these money into different personal bank accounts in a manner designed to avoid currency transaction reporting requirements. Oxycodone, also known as Oxy, is a narcotic analgesic or painkiller and is classified as a Schedule II controlled substance. Demand for oxycodone-based prescription pain medication has grown to epidemic proportions in the United States, and dealers profit by selling such medication on the street. Oxycodone-based Schedule II drugs have a high potential for abuse and users will often crush and snort the pills or dissolve and inject them to get an immediate high. This abuse can lead to addiction, overdose, and sometimes death. Hydrocodone is sold generically or under a variety of brand names, including Vicodin, Vicoprofen, Lerotrab, Lorcoset, and Norco. 
If convicted of the controlled substances crimes, Brown faces a maximum statutory penalty of 20 years in prison and a $1 million fine. If convicted for the structuring, he faces 10 years in prison and a $500,000 fine. This case is a product of an investigation by the DEA, the IRS, and the Medical Board of California. The case is being brought as part of a Operation Footprint, a nationwide law enforcement initiative that targets large drug trafficking organizations by identifying the transfer of drug proceeds through financial institutions, bulk cash smuggling, and other forms of money transfers. The case is also the product of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. It's a focused multi-agency, multi-jurisdictional task force investigating and prosecuting the most significant drug trafficking organizations throughout the United States. Twelve Los Angeles area residents, including California's second largest biller for chiropractic services, were taken into custody in relation to seven criminal cases that caused more than $22 million in false Medicare billings. The charges in Los Angeles are part of a nationwide takedown by Medicare fraud strike force operations in eight cities. Dr. Hussein Pavande of the Silmar Physician Medical Group allegedly billed Medicare more than $1.7 million for chiropractic treatment he never performed. He is also listed as a qualified medical examiner on the DWC website. Over the years, he became the second largest Medicare chiropractic biller in California, even though he was not in the United States when some of the alleged services were performed. Pavezede is also charged with aggravated identity theft as part of the scheme. When investigators tried to conduct an audit of Pavezende's crimes claims, he falsely reported to the Los Angeles Police Department that he had been carjacked and that patient files requested by the auditors had been stolen from his car. Nine defendants affiliated with DME companies were also charged in five separate indictments. In one case, 53-year-old Long Akinola Afalobi of Long Beach, the owner of Emanuel Medical Supply, allegedly submitted more than $2.6 million in false and fraudulent billing to Medicare. In another case, 52-year-old Queen Anise Smith of Encino and 47-year-old Abul King Garba of Westwood, the owners and operators of ITC Medical Supply, allegedly submitted more than $1.8 million in false and fraudulent billing to Medicare. In a third case, 53-year-old Clement Etim Aguedo of Fontana, the owner of Ace Medical Supply Company, allegedly submitted more than $1.8 million in false and fraudulent claims to Medicare as well. In another case, three defendants affiliated with Gardena-based ProMed Medical Transportation and Ambulance Company were charged with submitting more than $5.9 million in false claims to Medicare between 2008 and 2011. That is not peanuts. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation Medical Unit has made changes to the Qualified Medical Evaluator panel request process as a result of Senate Bill 863. New QME Form 105A applies to the unrepresented cases and must be used for dates of injury after January 1st, 2013. Similarly, New QME Form 106A applies to represented cases 
and must be used for dates of injury after January 1, 2013. Both forms will be formally adopted after they are approved by the Office of Administrative Law, at which time the form numbers will be renamed to QME Form 105 and QME Form 106, respectively, and will apply to all dates of injury. Now, an agreed medical evaluator offer letter is no longer required prior to making panel requests. Disputes from utilization review must be resolved through the independent medical review process for dates of injury on or after January 1, 2013, and for all dates of injury for which UR determinations are issued after July 1, 2013. For disputes over the existence or extent of permanent impairment and limitations or the need for future medical care, or concerning other medical issues, a QME panel request must include a written objection that identifies the name of the primary treating physician, the date of PTP's report that is the subject of the objection, and a description of the medical dispute requiring a comprehensive medical legal exam. For disputes over the compensability of any injury, a QME panel request must include a written objection that specifies that a compensability examination is required. QME panel requests cannot be submitted until 10 days after the objection letter has been sent. Requests submitted that do not contain all these components will be considered incomplete and will be rejected. When resubmitting a complete represented panel request, please attach a copy of the rejection letter. More helpful, tips to ensure valid panel requests will be coming soon to the DWC Medical website. Yes. Walgreens Corporation, the nation's largest drugstore chain, has agreed to pay $80 million in civil penalties to resolve the DEA's administrative actions and the United States Attorney's Office's civil penalty investigation. The settlement, the largest in DEA history, resolves allegations that Walgreens committed an unprecedented number of record-keeping and prescription dispensing violations under the Controlled Substances Act. The settlement further resolves open civil investigations in the District of Colorado, Eastern District of Michigan, and Eastern District of New York, as well as civil investigations by DEA field offices nationwide. Officials claim that Walgreens negligently allowed controlled substances such as oxycodone and other prescription painkillers to be diverted for abuse and illegal black market sales. More specifically, the settlement covers allegations against Walgreens Jupiter Distribution Center and six Walgreens retail pharmacies in Florida. Authorities claim that Jupiter Distribution Center failed to comply with DEA regulations that required it to report to the DEA, DEA suspicious prescription drug orders that it received from Walgreens retail pharmacies. They also claim this was a systematic practice that resulted in at least tens of thousands of violations. As part of the settlement, Walgreens admitted that it failed to uphold its obligations as a DEA registrant. Walgreens has also agreed to create a Department of Pharmaceutical Integrity to ensure regulatory compliance and prevent the diversion of controlled substances. Walgreens has also agreed to enhance its training and compliance programs and to no longer monetarily compensate its pharmacists based on the volume of prescriptions filled. Four bills 
dealing with reform at the Medical Board of California and related issues, passed out of the Senate a few weeks ago. The medical board that regulates doctors is facing sunset review this year, meaning it will cease to exist if lawmakers and the governor don't reauthorize it. An oversight hearing in Sacramento in March raised the issue of the board's lax controls over doctors who overprescribe pain medications. The hearings triggered three bills in addition to core legislation to overhaul the medical board program to make it more effective. Senate Bill 304 would move medical board investigations to the Office of the California Attorney General. The idea is to put medical board investigators in the same place as prosecutors who specialize in handling doctor discipline. The Senate also approved Senate Bill 670, a measure designed to better protect the public from unscrupulous doctors who abuse their power to prescribe drugs. The bill would allow the medical board to inspect and copy medical records of deceased patients to determine if the death resulted from a doctor violating the law. Senate Bill 62 would require coroners, if they receive information that indicates the cause of death as a result of prescription drug use, to file a report with the medical board. Senate Bill 809 seeks to save and modernize the Department of Justice's Controlled Substance Utilization Review and Evaluation System, CURES, to monitor drug prescriptions for overuse and overprescribing of narcotic painkillers. And in medical news, Stem Cells Incorporated announced that Health Canada has authorized the company to expand its phase one and two clinical trial for chronic spinal cord injury into Canada. The phase one and two trial is currently underway in Zurich, Switzerland, and is designed to evaluate the safety and preliminary efficacy of the company's purified human neural stem cells product as a treatment for chronic spinal cord injury. With this authorization from Health Canada, the company is actively working to open one or more trial sites in Canada and begin screening patients. The first three patients completed the trial in December, and data from these patients showed multi-segment gains in sensory function in two patients with severe spinal injuries. The company anticipates 12 patients with thoracic-level neurological injuries will be enrolled. And in other news, the Upland City Council appointed Los Angeles-based Keenan & Associates to provide workers' compensation claims management for the city. The city hopes to achieve long-term savings on administering workers' compensation claims. City staff received six proposals for firms before unanimously selecting Keenan & Associates. One councilwoman asks for a report within the year to see if there will be savings. Keenan will be making online training courses available to city staff in order to keep them up to date on California occupational safety health standards. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, and Android device by searching for WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.